Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, once again, thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Fred. Now, in our last article called Easy to Fall, we noted a systemic problem within Israel that defined that particular generation, and it wasn't pretty. There was nothing redeeming about that generation as a whole shortly after Joshua's death. And that was clearly seen in the life of Micah and the Levite that we read about as we talked about that particular subject of uh, Judges 16, 17 through 18, that kind of thing. Well, their cares and concerns of the people then were solely wrapped up in their own lives. Nothing else mattered to them. It was all about them, their wants, their needs. God was not considered. He was not part of the picture. Well, as if the events in Judges 17 and 18 weren't bad enough, we now arrive at Judges 19 through 21. And uh, what we see here are the results of certain individuals' actions literally brought about civil war within the nation of Israel. This was the result of it. The immediate event that started the ball rolling, though, toward that civil war is found in Judges chapter 19. That's what I want to go over today. Interestingly enough, it involves yet another Levite. Now, what's good, if we can say it's good about that section of Judges, according to Dr. Thomas Constable and other commentators, is that it teaches Christians today how to live in a society that is increasingly godless depraved, having separated from godly spiritual uh, or moral code that God gave us. Today's society is quickly becoming what existed during the days of the judges, where everybody pushes their own agenda. And so as Christians, we need to avoid uh, the sinking that is going on in society. We need to rise above that. Let me uh, read some of the text here, Judges 19, 1 to 4. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. Well, he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there for four whole months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the young man saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. All right, again, that's Judges 19 through one to four. And it introduces us to several things. First, the writer of Judges reiterates to us there was no king in Israel, verse one. Well, we read about that before in the previous uh, couple of chapters, 17 through 18. There was no human king, and certainly the Lord God was not seen as supreme king either. And because of this, many to most Israelites did as they pleased in life, whatever they thought was best. And uh, it was always centered around self. That was the that was the upshot of the whole thing. So there is a reference to Phineas, Aaron's grandson, and that's in chapter twenty, verse eight. 
We're not going to get there today, but I just wanted to bring that into this discussion because it may indicate to us that this particular incident leading to national strife and ultimately civil war shortly occurred after the death of Joshua. So it was early on in the period of the judges, unfortunately, but this kind of sets the tone for the way that generation was. So in this section of scripture, yet another Levite ignored God's rules for where they were supposed to live. Remember from before the 48 cities, Moses said were to be set aside specifically for the Levites. That's where they were supposed to live in one of those 48 cities. Well, beyond this, the Levite should never have married a concubine. Additionally, the Levite in this narrative obviously treated the woman like absolute garbage. He was not the least bit nurturing or caring. Why the concubine played the harlot, verse verse 2, we're not told, although it very well could have been due to the way he treated her, literally chasing her away with his hateful behavior. And by the way, it's also possible that the phrase played the harlot really meant that she was extremely upset with him, her quote-unquote husband, and if the way he treated her later on in, in the story is any indication, then maybe she had a right to feel the way she felt about him. Because of the way that she was treated, she simply went back to her father's house instead of remaining quote-unquote faithful to her Levite husband. So it becomes obvious that the Levite had absolutely no love for his wife, concubine, so it is likely that she left him because her situation was unbearable. Not that she cheated on him, but in a sense, cheated because she left him and went back to her uh, father's household. Well, who can blame her? What is also very interesting is the text that tells us that the Levite, quote, went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. But it seems that these words must have been spoken dripping with insincerity. Uh, He was just saying something that was outwardly expected in society at that time, but nothing he felt. So when we meet the father-in-law of this Levite, and he does everything he can to cause the Levite to stay with him numerous days, well, in those days, hospitality was huge. If someone was traveling through the area, it was customary to invite them in, feed their horses or donkeys, wash their feet, give them food and a place to sleep, even if they were not known to you. This was the norm expected when people traveled. So when the Levite finally left with his concubine and servant after a number of days, they traveled toward Jerusalem, which was then Jebus, because it was mainly made up of uh, Jebusites at the time. And then they went past Jerusalem or Jebus to Gibeah. And apparently the Levite thought he'd experience hatred by the people living in Jebus, and so ignored the advice of his servant, and they went on ahead to Gibeah instead. And what is ironic here is that it was at Gibeah that the Levite and company received the hatred he thought they'd receive in Jebus. So reading through what happened during the night in Gibeah reminds us, of course, is what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and the angelic visitors who were sent there to destroy it. And the angels then, during that time, Genesis 19, also originally opted to remain out in the city square, you'll recall, but Lot dissuaded them. And he persuaded them actually to come inside his home because he was aware 
of how the people in Sodom and Gomorrah treated outsiders and visitors. Gibeah was seemingly another Sodom with the same attitude. And the same situation seemed to exist there in Gibeah for the Levite and his company. They could find no place to stay. No one wanted to lift a finger to help them except one old man. And it wasn't as if the Levite was going to be a burden to anyone because he had all of his supplies. He had all of his food with him that he would need. He just needed a place to lay his head for the night. And he didn't necessarily want to do that in the public square. Well, fortunately, an old man who was staying in Gibeah invited them in, verses 16 through 21. And the Levite took the old man up on his offer. And while they were eating and relaxing inside the old man's home, a bunch of, the text says, worthless fellows in the ESV, verse 22. And literally that means sons of Belial or sons of the devil, found out that there were strangers in town. And so they wanted to rape them. The text says, know them, and that's an anachronym for sexual intercourse. Now, again, the same situation occurred in Sodom, and here we are with the men of Gibeah repeating the same sin. And by the way, I've written about this before, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and while it included homosexual rape, the actual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was much more pervasive, much bigger. The sin of those twin cities was primarily a complete lack of concern for strangers. Now, while some commentators refer to it as simply a lack of hospitality, it goes well beyond that. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah weren't just to themselves. They didn't keep just to themselves and didn't care or have a concern to help strangers in need. They went well beyond that. They wanted to be completely left alone by anyone they considered outsiders. And to this end, they would go to great lengths to harm strangers. And this included, but was not limited to groups of men raping men or women as they happened to come into the cities. In fact, there were numerous ways in which they predicated harm on innocent travelers. And legend has it that the incident that became the last straw for God, so to speak, was when two young maidens chose to help a traveler by bringing him food and water when everyone else in town completely shunned him. These young maidens paid with their lives in agonizing, drawn-out death by the townspeople. So here we are in Gibeah with the same mindset as the previous Sodom and Gomorrah. Men came to the door, literally wanted to humiliate and overcome the Levite traveling through, so demanded that he be brought out by the old man. Shockingly enough, the old man did what Lot had done by offering virgin daughters to the crowd for them to violate, which of course means to rape repeatedly, to save the Levite, the guest in his home, from harm or death. That's verse 24. I don't understand how a father does that. I cannot imagine it, but we have two examples, clear examples in scripture of this happening. First Lot and now here. Now, of course, the worthless fellows were not mollified or coddled with that suggestion. They didn't want those the girls. They didn't want these virgins. They wanted this man. They did not back down from their demands. So the Levite, who not long before had spoken to his concubine with such kind words, all of a sudden grabs her, pushes her out the door, and allows the crowd of men to have their way with her. How does this happen unless a person has become so depraved, so callous because of a hardened heart. 
Folks, this did not happen overnight with the Levite. It occurred over time. And that is the danger for all people. It can happen incrementally over time so that it's hardly noticed. And then all of a sudden, there you are, depraved with a hard-hearted stone for a heart. So because we are in relationship with God as believers, we need to make that relationship and calling sure. And Paul tells us of this. This requires us to talk with the Lord daily, to read his word, and invest time in studying, memorizing, and meditating on his word. Without this, our relationship with our Heavenly Father cannot progress or deepen. You know, it's going to become stale and eventually obsolete. Imagine being married to someone you deeply loved at the beginning, only to begin spending less time with them each day, less time talking with them, less time doing things you used to do with them that you both considered fun and enjoyed and it brought you closer together. Eventually, you would just grow apart. And if that continued, ultimately, you would come to a place where your attachment to that other person was almost nothing and then became nothing. And in such a case, how difficult would it be to think that your care and concern for that other person would literally evaporate little by little until there was nothing left? Well, the Levite was a Levite because he came from that tribe. He was not at all concerned about how God saw his life. He wasn't concerned about God. He was not concerned about anything except what he thought was important for himself. He had probably grown to the point of using people for his own growth. And uh, if he could not get what he needed from others, he had no use for them. This is how the cares of this world can cause us to look inward all the time so that we completely miss being God's voice, his hands, his feet in a world that desperately needs him and the salvation that only he provides. We can become like the Levite and then stop caring about people, our loved ones and the lost. This is exactly what we see in this chapter of the Judges. A Levite who is only concerned for himself. And instead of trying to protect and cherish his wife, he throws her to the wolves, literally. Well, the upshot of this story is that the concubine is brutally and repeatedly raped until she dies. We aren't clear that she died in Gibeah or if she died after the Levite got home. We, that, the text doesn't really make it clear, but she does die. And as a man, I honestly can't clearly understand what that must feel like to a woman. I'm sure it is a terrible, terrible death where the woman is painfully used and mistreated over and over again until her body simply gives up because of that abuse. It is heart-wrenching, yet we see no evidence in the Levite that he is heartbroken or even mildly concerned. Dr. Thomas Constable says, imagine the fight the concubine must have put up as her husband tried to wrestle her out of the door in order to save his own cowardly skin. Clearly, he didn't really love the woman or he would have defended her and even offered himself in, that, in her place. His actions speak volumes about his views of women, himself, and God's will. Now we can understand why this woman left him in the first place. 
unquote. Well, as if all this is not enough to become incensed over, the Levi has the audacity to bring the concubine home, and then he uses what happened to her, as if he really cared, to exonerate himself. Instead of giving her a proper burial to show some sense of honoring her, he cuts her up into 12 pieces as though he's cutting up an animal sacrifice. And he sends one piece to the elders of each tribe of Israel. Well, they get the message and they wonder aloud what to do about it. The way the Levite treated the concubine is unfortunately indicative of how any one of God's children can sink to such a level if we continue to resolutely reject God's lordship over our lives. That's it in a nutshell. And please don't ever think that you can't get there. We can all get there. Every one of us can get there. I can get there if I stop pursuing my relationship with the Lord. We cannot be content to think that we would never stoop or fall or sink to that low, low level. It can happen. Because we still have our sin natures and our freedom to choose. Here's another quote from Constable. Quote, the erroneous notion that man sets up his own standards of morality goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3. Actually, God sets these standards. He does so based on his love and his desire for the welfare of humanity. And he reveals these standards in his word. When people abandon God's standards... Life breaks down, unravels, and disintegrates, unquote. You know, his standards are in his word. And if we do not read his word, we're not going to know what his standards are and how that works out in life. So the first thing we need to do is read his word. How do we continue to live in a way that honors God in a world that is quickly and stalwartly rejecting him and moving away from him? Well, we need to do the opposite of what the world is doing by embracing God's standards in all areas of our lives, regardless of how difficult that might be. There really is no other way. And unfortunately, as we do so, as we do so, as we move away, we will become further and further removed from the ways of this world. So we're making a choice here. Am I going to embrace God's standards or am I going to embrace the world's standards? If I embrace the world's standards, I'm moving away from God. If I embrace God's standards, I am moving away from the world. And by the way, that will put a target on your back. In the end, though, who is it we want to grow closer to? Who is it we want to please emulate and glorify? Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 